I had never talked with anybody about in my family. And it seems like such a minuscule thing, but family needs to be involved in your conversations about your experiences in the service. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We are here in West Bend and we're going to travel up north and we are going to be visiting with a Marine veteran who's up in the farm country of Osseo, Wisconsin. And let's go up there immediately and welcome Scott Schultz. And Scott is a Marine Corps veteran who lives on a small farm near Osseo in West Central Wisconsin uh, in called what she may explain to us the Northern Drift Zone. And I know the geology of Wisconsin, but I've never heard that before. He retired last year from a long career in print and broadcast journalism. Uh, 21 years ago, Scott and his wife, Dee, founded the educational nonprofit organization, the Heartbeat Center for Writing, Literacy, and the Arts. The Heartbeat Center's initial primary mission was to help people use creativity to find connections with the land and better understand their places in the world. Being a veteran, however, a large part of the Heartbeat's work has been in its Veteran Expressing Themselves project, helping veterans to use writing and the arts to heal. Being a writer, Scott focuses his Vets project on writing, as over the years he's been writing open doors for healing within many veterans, including himself. Scott has recently been named part of the Wisconsin Governor's Blue Ribbon Commission on Veterans Opportunity. Some of, of that Vets work uh, and, and that VETS is, uh, it, it's an anagram, capital B, capital E, capital T-S, is done in, in cooperation with the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park near Nielsville in central Wisconsin. Uh, Scott and I recently participated in the opening of a new peer support program at the High Ground focused on the veterans' families and the issues they face in transition back to civilian life and culture. We're looking forward to again joining veterans and their families later this month. I believe it's June 26th at the high ground to keep that family healing momentum rolling. And of course, we'll be talking about writing, be part of that momentum. So let's go up to Osseo and welcome Marine veteran Scott Schultz. Hello, Scott. 
Good morning, Michael. How are you doing? Good afternoon, I guess. <laughs> good, I, I lose yeah. track of time. Yeah, we do. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's still morning, but we'll, we'll accept the good yeah. afternoon in a little bit in advance. <laughs> really excited about this. Really excited about the program up at the high ground, which is going to focus more on the needs, mental, uh, the health care of the family, the resources that are available to them. And what's really exciting for me is, uh, having been a veteran now for 52 years, the, the focus had primarily always been on the veteran. And it had been uh, resources for the veteran, healing for the veteran. And I was part of that. It was always about me. I was at war. I did this. I, me, me, me. Um, I have these reactions. I have nightmares. So I'm really happy that we're starting to take um, what Dr. Lee from the uh, Milwaukee VA and the combat veteran of the Iraq War said, the real casualty of war is the family. And I think we're starting to see the necessity for bringing them into the conversation. So let's get started. Uh, tell us about uh, the, the Heartbeat Writing Project that you and your wife have created and how that works and what it's effective and um, explain the value and how we'll get in touch with that. Well, we'll be getting a little bo mo bit more in depth as we roll along here. Um, about the benefits of writing uh, where healing is concerned. I always knew, I grew up in the rural area, that uh, writing had a special place uh, where connections with the land, with the countryside are concerned, that you can understand yourself a little bit more if you uh, use that land and that countryside to connect and uh, to get words down on paper or on a computer, whatever it is. Uh, it can be uh, just a soothing, soothing thing and a healing thing. Uh, no matter no matter what your lot in life is, Dee and I, as, we, as you mentioned, uh, started this project, started the Heartbeat Center uh, to aim at especially young uh, uh, adults to get them on the road to this. But as you also said, uh, being a veteran, it didn't take me very long to realize that, hey, we need uh, this in the veterans community. And writing it for veterans, as I'm seeing it, it's exploding. People are understanding it. You understand why, and I understand why. And every veteran uh, with whom I've spoken, uh, who's been writing, fully understands. Uh, it doesn't have to be a book. It doesn't have to be necessarily uh, words that you bring about about a traumatic experience. Those will come. But uh, the stories that you first tell with writing um, are for yourself, and they might involve some strange little thing. But you get writing. And as you keep writing, more and more can come out. And the more it comes out, the more you feel healing uh, settling into your soul. And so we've had our, our Veterans Expressing Themselves project going uh, for uh, seven or eight years now. And uh, in fact, we have uh, an exhibit with some uh, writing and artwork that we're having here in Osseo inviting veterans from throughout Wisconsin to um, send or bring their work to our uh, Monday night music festival, uh, which we call Park Beat, and exhibit it and uh, do some readings. 
Uh, that's coming up later in August, and there'll be um, way more information about that August 29th as, as the year progresses. But that thing at the high ground, Michael, we're going to be presenting specifically a writing project in the next couple of months. This is a, a plan to be a monthly project to uh, in, include family members in the veterans healing. And uh, with the first session, I saw more than ever before the need for her involving family. And um, you uh, were a presenter at that first session and it, it clicked, as you said, uh, you told us that when you're out of the service, you just don't, you don't tell family a lot of what happened. And it dawned on me, for whatever reason, when I got out of the Marine Corps so many years ago, when I sat down with family members uh, for the first time, brothers, sisters, siblings, um, parents, Nobody really asked me things, and I didn't offer things. And it wasn't until after this program at the high ground uh, a bit ago that my wife and I sat in our living room with the television off for several hours. And her just asking the most basic questions that I, I realized nobody had ever asked. I did burial details for a while at the... Uh, Minneapolis Veterans Cemetery at the Fort Snelling Cemetery. That was part of my duty of all things. And um, B, my wife said, have you ever talked with anybody in your in the family? I hadn't talked with her about what that's like to do a burial detail. And I, and I actually broke down because I realized that day after day, I was doing uh, ceremonies at the funeral uh, with that detail and the flag was getting handed uh, whether it be a retired person or an active duty person that was being buried and the flag was handed to the family member and those uh, incredible words were spoken thanking them for that family member's service and then grief struck the family. And I remember being 20, 21 years old and standing there as a United States Marine Corps sergeant, not breaking my character, as it were, but just wanting to go over and hug these people and offer my sympathy like you normally would. And I couldn't. But it's that kind of thing, Michael, that I had never talked with anybody about in my family. And it seems like such a minuscule thing, but family needs to be involved in your conversations about your experiences in the service. Uh, Scott, let, let me stop you for just a minute because the point you're bringing up is really excellent. Let's go back to Scott Schultz at the beginning when you enter the Marine Corps. Tell us about Scott Schultz, why you entered the Marine Corps. Where was your family at that time as part of that whole experience of entering into the Marine Corps? And the reason I'm asking this, if we were to follow this line, our expectations enlisting in the, in the military, why we were doing this, our family is generally there in that decision or has at least a response to the decision. And then we have an expectation when we go in, we have the actual experience. We as the soldier, 
experience that in one way. Our family experiences that more in their imagination because they can only guess where we are and what we're doing and how we are. And uh, I've always said, uh, mother shared this with me, every car that pulls up in front of their house, they don't know if that's the chaplain coming to give them some bad news. And then there's the expectation of coming home from the military, and our family again is, is there. But when we get home, there seems to be that time when we return home and our family often says, I don't know who this person is anymore. I don't understand them. And we, of course, don't uh, always have the ability to express where we've been, what we've done, what we've seen. So we become isolated. We, we start that separation from our family, and then everything is focused typically on the veteran getting the healing and the, the, the help after that, and the family kind of drifts off, and there's that separation. They can only watch what the reactions are. Does that make any sense to you? Uh, and, and follow us through your own, your own experience entering into the Marine Corps. Yeah, it makes uh, all the sense in the world to me, Mike. I, when, when I enlisted in the Marine Corps, uh, combat operations had pretty much stopped in Vietnam. And um, and Saigon fell, you know, when I was in boot camp. So my combat experiences were nothing. I, I mean, I, I was never in a firefight. Um, when I enlisted, though, it was a trauma in my family. My family wasn't necessarily uh, generation after generation military family out of six uh, children in my immediate family uh, and my parents, I was the only one to, um, to be in the armed forces. When I enlisted, though, as I mentioned, it's, it was traumatic because the Vietnam experience had happened, was still happening, as we know all too well. Frankly, the nation was tired of it. And afraid of what might still come and still might be coming. And my parents were no different than that. And my sister just the other day was one of my sisters was reminding me, you know, we had a, a going away gathering that for her, one of the biggest traumas that she can remember in her life was when the government car drove in with a recruiter in it. Uh, to pick me up to take me to Milwaukee to the AFES Center. And uh, she said, I cried for days. I was afraid for you. I didn't know what what to expect. And um, and then, you know, I, I did my three years of active duty and, you know, then went on to some reserve duty too. But my family didn't know what to expect, as you said. And I, I can't imagine if you're in country what that family might be imagining. And I think they actually, along the way, Michael, made assumptions from what you might see in the media about what's going on in the military. And unless you're in the military, you don't know day-to-day, the day-to-day military life, everything from boring to lighting it up. (laughs) and Life-threatening, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And when I got off of active duty, I, I thought back to that going away several years earlier and uh, the trauma and everything that I saw in my family. It was one of the first times I saw my dad cry. The only time I remember him crying other than that was when his mother died. And so when I got out, I thought, ah, this will be a neat celebration thing. 
And it really was a whole hum thing. Uh, I was kind of, you know, reflecting on it now, you know, in reflection, that kind of is surprising to me that I thought maybe, you know, you'd come back from the far East and that people would say, what did you do day to day uh, in the far East? You know, uh, you know, they, they knew my job basically, but did they know that uh, I was in a landing craft, you know, doing an amphibious landing or, or insertion exercises with helicopters and um, burial details, as I mentioned, and what it was like to do those things. And it seemed like nobody was interested. And I wasn't interested in telling them. Because I I think when when you came back uh, from combat, Michael, uh, what's the famous thing that anybody asks a combat veteran there how many there's about four words have you killed anyone (laughs) and but beyond that the military is a broad experience you meet different people of different cultures um, you eat different foods you, you know the different smells of a foreign land um, that's one thing that always strikes me. If you get off of an airplane in a different country, how in some places it's the air is different and and it has a different smell about it. And and I take note of that kind of thing. Knowing that, um, fulfilling whatever curiosity there might be among family members, um, I think is a definite part of transition and healing for veterans, whatever traumas you bumped into. And by the way, I know you maintain, and I'll let you speak toward this, that uh, every veteran, the minute you raise your hand, you say that no, but that oath of service, you pick up a weight and um, whatever you do, from there on, during your time in service, you're picking up weights all along the way, no matter what your experiences are. I, I, I want to stop just for a second and go back, Scott, because you bring up so many good points. One in particular, and this is an assumption that our families don't ask us about where we were or what we experienced, and we're not really prepared to tell them. And it's come to my conclusion. That's why I really firmly believe in this project at the high ground. I honestly believe that oftentimes, out of respect, they don't know how to engage us in that conversation. They don't right. know how to ask that question. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't want to burden us with what they experienced. They, the experiences that they had, they don't consider to be that important. Yet this is the process, the final stage of the military obligation. The family has to be there. The focus has to be on the entire family, not just the veteran. Because they went through sometimes what I think might even be more difficult, they experience our active duty in their imaginations. And what can happen in your imagination? It can be a very, very scary, frightening, sad, unhappy place. As you mentioned with your sister, you're going off to she doesn't know what, and she's crying before you leave. Imagine yeah. what they're thinking while you're away. So giving yeah. them the opportunity now to come forward and realize, yeah, you're just as important to this 
aspect or this part of the military experience as I am, as I, the veteran, am. Uh, and we need to hear your needs and your resources and what your feelings are and how do we share this so that we can all come to a resolution on our military experience and move on to, to some joy, some happiness, and some love in life and not have this incomplete mission or this incomplete experience in life. Um, so uh, that, that's always been very, very important for me. So, so now, yeah, I do believe that any, anybody who has entered the military, if you have taken the oaths of service, you have no idea when they're going to take you, put an M16 or a weapon in your hand and put you on the front lines. But it, it, I, I've always thought of it more um, after having taken one course in theater in college. Uh, tell me the MOS that's not important to the mission. And I will guarantee right. you this, the military would have found that and got rid of it a long time ago. Um, and right. so whatever the, the, the experience doesn't always have to be related to combat, doesn't have to be related to, um, to, um, to deployments. It has to do with the fact that you took that oath of service, whatever your experience was, it's part of the entire story. And I think when, it, you know, when I was in Vietnam, yes, I was um, an, an infantry soldier, but if they would have taken away mail call, imagine what that would have done to the morale. Imagine the, the postmaster and, and said, yeah, well, guess what? We decided we don't need the, the mail calls, so you're not getting any mail. And you can you, you know, think that out uh, a little bit, extrapolate to now when everything comes electronically. What if they took away your cell phones? Okay, you're on a mission, but no cell phones. Uh, you're not getting any messages because we eliminated that, uh, that MOS. So I don't know the MOS. So they're all important, the same as on a, yeah. a play. At the end of the play, everybody comes out. Um, including the lighting, the, the, the sound people, and everybody takes a bow for a successful play. Well, take away one of those people and, that, and let me know if the play would have been just as successful. So I, I don't think yeah. Re Reinforcing your family involvement thoughts. At that, at that first uh, session at the high ground, it wasn't a very large gathering of, as you know, family members and veterans. Um, but when, when, Discussions really started rolling as they do in a group like that. Um, I thought one of the most profound moments was was when an Iraq veteran uh, opened up about some things and his father, uh, who's a little bit older, um, turned and said to the person next to him, I didn't know any of that. Well, set, set that stage a little bit more clearly. The father and the son are both at this very first meeting sitting next to each other. Yes, and, and now I'm being a little bit redundant in your in your name, is yep. telling these things openly. But first, what happened? We sat for a good half hour, and I think this is really key to the success of this project. This veteran became trusting. He felt comfortable. He felt safe in telling these things because the things that he began to share were not the things you just share, yeah, with anyone at any time. These were very intimate experiences that he had. In combat, wanting to be able to express that with his wife, and he couldn't even get in touch with her. Uh, very, very dramatic presentation. And his father, now continue, sorry to interrupt, but that's when the father says, I didn't know any of this. Right, right. He didn't know his son's wife uh, fell to the floor at one point when he called her and talked with her from uh, the, the his uh, camp in Iraq, uh, telling her about some of the things that he sees on a daily basis. And so, yeah, he couldn't talk to her anymore. He didn't feel comfortable doing that because she passed out basically. And yes, his father did not know that. Um, and that's, you know, 
10, 15 years later down the road. Um, and he had, he had and also shared that once he could not call home and speak to his wife or anyone else, he didn't know what to do with all of this, or yes. what he was experiencing. He had to, this is what we would have called, started numbing. He had to start internalizing all of this, start putting it away, starting absorbing this, find some way to put up with all of this. Uh, and he was talking about firefights, taking on a fire, direct fire and all of this, that he had no way of dealing with this. There was no way, how right. do I get rid of this energy? So he was internalizing it, which is something that happens with many of us. The, the internalization, uh, another, another anecdote from that session that was powerful to me was a Marine veteran, uh, a retiree, whose son is in the Marine Corps as we speak. And that son uh, calls home off and on, and he doesn't talk with his mother. Um, he talks with his dad. And his mother... At this session, it dawned on her that, wait a minute, I've been shut out. And the father said, I'm sorry that we've shut you out. I didn't realize that. It was just the talk between the two Marines. And mom was wondering and scared, as she has been all through her husband's career, uh, the minute he leaves on a deployment, as you say, Michael, the brain starts working. What is he doing? Where is he? And all those things are running through her mind as her son and father are talking. And I, and one thing where that's concerned too, I, uh, early on in, in uh, the time in Iraq and Afghanistan uh, with those conflicts, a couple of uh, young Marines that uh, I coached and mentored as young young men, uh, one in particular, it was in Ramadi, and emailed me with the famous words, uh, starting his email with, please don't tell any of this to mom. And you're uncomfortable telling some of these things to your mom or your sister or your brother or your dad even. But you have to tell them to someone. And um, I think uh, reflecting on this program a little bit more as we're rolling along here, I think as veterans, we have the responsibility to open some of these dialogues between even active duty uh, service personnel, but especially uh, veterans and their families. It never had struck me that deeply as it did that day at the high ground. And I think that's important. And when you go back in reference to the mother who was shut out of the conversation, she knew the conversations was going on. And the, the father yeah. and the son, both Marines, both having been deployed, were actually shielding her, protecting her from this, which made it worse for her because now she's in her imagination. What are they protecting me from? What's actually going on? Right. Uh, so the, the whole thing of the value of providing for everyone in the family that platform that they need to acknowledge the experience they had during the military uh, experience and then to actually resolve those experiences and then accept them is much more important than just burying them or 
saying, well, he was the one or she was the one deployed, so I just have to suck this up. That whole suck this thing up, I don't know who came up with that, but that, that, it, it's just the absolutely absurd. So you're, you're right, providing not just the opportunity for the families, but I think we have to think of the family as the primary health care unit and also think yes. about that house where we live, those four walls and doors and windows, should be the responsibility of us as veterans to make certain that is a happy, safe environment where they trust us as veterans to provide them with that security. And even to the extent that we offer that, yes, we know I, I have issues as a veteran, but for your sake, I'm going to go and get help on these issues so that you feel comfortable. But I'm also going to find resources for you so that you have resources as a veteran family to understand and to deal with the reactions you're having. And I think that is part of the goal of this project at the Hydra. Michael, one thing that I love that you push, and, and, and that is the for you thing. Um, because you've used the word selfishness, and I have been selfish in my lifetime. Um, we'd like to think that we're healing ourselves. Oh boy, you know, I'm getting through these experiences and it's for me. But in the end, it isn't for me. It's for my family. It's for my wife. It's for her peace of mind. And, it's uh, for the children. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Uh, absolutely. One of the things that, and I've been working with veterans for a long time after my own commitment to the VA hospital in Toma for inpatient treatment, is how many families have suffered because of the inability of us to communicate and to provide resources for everyone. And I'm, through the years with the podcast, really shocked at how many veterans are completely disconnected from their children. In Absolutely. They are yes. estranged from their children. Some don't even want anything to do with them. How many wives are turned out to be the caretakers of veterans uh, as opposed to being the intimate partners of the veteran, you know, taking care of their medications and their rides to the VA or whatever it might be, uh, roles that they just have to take but have uh, no one to share that experience with. And I know when I went on the honor flight, and I'll bring in the honor flight because it was so healing for me out of Milwaukee in 2018, uh, I was not going to go. I'd been to Washington, D.C., and you know I was mm -hmm. apprehensive about seeing all these names on the marble wall out in Washington, D.C. Uh, but my sister Mary, and I did tell the, the honor, uh, honor flight folks, I was a little bit apprehensive, and I told my family I really didn't want to go. And my sister Mary, who's only a year and a half younger than I am, looked at me, and this was the first time in almost 50 years, said to me, Mike, your family needs to heal too. And I was startled absolutely blown away because the thought had never occurred to me. The thought had always been, I'm the one with nightmares. I'm the one with panic attacks. I'm the one with exactly. anger. I'm the one with unresolved issues. I'm the one who doesn't even know who I am. And I, when I uh, decided to go on the honor flight, it was so healing for my brother Tom and I, who were very, very close, uh, that he flew up from Florida just to be part of it. Uh, he was so happy. And then I would find out from my mother that while I was in Vietnam, he had been writing letters to me, and mm -hmm. my mother said that she found them under his bed. They were letters saying that he was so afraid I'd be killed. He had only been probably 10 years old at the time. Right. Um, 
and those letters were, n I never saw these letters. I never knew of this experience until much later on. So just the concept that if we're going into the military, there is a family behind almost every one of us. And they have to be, in my opinion, acknowledged and considered as participants in this whole military experience. So Mike, we, we had an experience at that session also that might be the fully most um, powerful um, description of the need for telling your family what's going on. And that was a woman whose husband at the time closed her out and um, had some issues and, and they wound up being divorced. And, and what did she do to figure out what her husband had gone through? She joined, she joined the <laughs> army. <laughs> a, a really, she I'm joined the army. It. Yeah, a, yeah. An incredible story. Yeah, just to find but that's powerful to understand him. She joined the military. Yeah, I, I've never heard that. But that that to me demonstrates how powerful that need for family healing is out there. And, and she even admitted in her experience in joining the military, she went on to be uh, to have military sexual trauma as a veteran. Yes. Had her own issues, which she was forgiving. She was a little bit older at the time, but yeah, that that was that was an incredible story. In fact, we'll be speaking with her on the podcast uh, as well. But you're right, another incredible story. The one that we don't want to shy away from, and I thought this was really really important, um, and that was the mother of an Iraq war veteran, I believe multiple tours. I can't remember how four or five yes. whose son took his own life um, yep. and the devastation that, that she has faced in, in healing from this um, and how much of that would, you know, I, I don't even want to get into assuming or trying to understand what reason was or what could have been prevented or what could have helped. The results were just absolutely devastating for this woman. So she has found at least companionship in coming to these and trust and comfort in coming to these sessions and participating and not just participating, but trying to present this from the standpoint of what a mother experiences with the loss of a child. Right. You know, I, I know one of the things that you talk about often is how important and uh, in finding safety it is veteran to veteran. Um, that that trust is there, that veteran trust, veteran to veteran trust is there. And uh, a great part of this program that I see and I'm realizing is the same thing holds true with families. My family is going through this. I'm willing to talk with you because your family understands uh, what we're going through and, and are talking about. So the family healing is a big thing. Yeah. Well, it, it's not just that, Scott, but the other additional thing, anyone who participates in this particular program isn't just coming there to share their experiences. They're joining a lot, joining with us and joining with the high ground and joining, joining with uh, the heartbeat um, with the idea of joining a team that wants to improve that transition by their own participation. Right. And there's healing in that. There's healing not just in coming to share your particular or unique experience, but there's joining this group because we want to make this better for other veterans and families who are going through this experience. And by participating in this project, that's what we're doing. We're opening up. We're talking about this. 
And the more we talk about it openly, the more rational all of these experiences that we thought were so absurd uh, turn out to be, how, how plausible they are and how understandable they are when they're addressed and when they're spoken of. So they're joining right. this team that's making that transition better, and that's also very, also very crucial. Um, it, in, in veterans' situations, you feel alone. When that depression hits, I know personally, or that anxiety hits, you are alone. And you, you have that feeling. And we have to realize that moms, dads, brothers, sisters, wives uh, have that same feeling that I'm alone and you're not. Uh, you can go to something like this and, and realize that you're not alone. And that's a big part of this for me. And make it better. Uh, and, and there's more than just being alone, but there's the loss of quality and joy in life, the, the, mm -hmm. the emotional, spiritual intimacy with your family members. There's the joy, the happiness, the moving forward that's lost. So it's not just the matter of the isolation emotionally from each other, but it's what is that displacing that should be there, and that's the joy and the happiness and the safety of, uh, of a happy home and a healthy home. And I think it helps displace that so that we can not be stuck at that time of emotional. Right. And uh, again, Michael, um, the, the programs at the high ground uh, have a lo lot of different uh, facets with them. You were talking about the mom who lost her son, uh, who took his own life after afterwards. And uh, we heard, I, I have in my hand, literally, a book called Sold Out, S-O-U-L-E-D, Out, uh, written by a fellow named Michael Orban. <laughs> and if uh, we're going to be uh, with the heartbeat, as we've mentioned several times, uh, part of the participation in this program for the heartbeat will be asking people to do some writing. Not for me, not for Michael Orban or anybody else, but for yourself, for your family, uh, or as a family member. And you probably express more than anybody I've ever heard what writing did for you 30 years after the fact, Michael. Yeah, it, it, absolutely true. Because when I came home from war, there were just so many emotions that I had. So Such a large part of my reality had been destroyed at war. Uh, from religion to so many other aspects of it. So when I came home, I didn't really know who I was. And my whole head was filled with these, uh, I, I often put it this way, my, my brain was like a computer that had shut down. It could not absorb any more information, and it could, not, it, it could not process the information that was there. So for 30 years, I just went through all of these. Uh, and if I were to explain every reaction as a different type of spaghetti, this mind full of all of these noodles and twine, and I would go from crying to anger to rage to disappointment to crying back and forth to laughter as all of these different experiences would come to mind and then fade to a different one. And I could never resolve any of them. So I was really stuck for 30 years for the main part of physically aging, but psychologically, spiritually stuck at that time of war because <laughs> all of these things were just continually going through my mind. And this would, of course, create panic attacks, nightmares, dreams guilt, shame, all of these other things that I couldn't resolve. And it wasn't until I went to inpatient treatment at the VA in Toma, and I'm not uh, 
not promoting them, but they certainly saved my life when I walked in there. And one of the things that they suggested that we could do, and they put a whole uh, list of things before us, poetry, music, um, that might be therapeutic or might be healing or might help in resolving some of these issues, was writing. And when I started writing, what I was putting on paper was really getting those things out of my head for 30 years that had been unresolved. These were the reactions, but they were so confused and, and isolated and trapped in my mind. When I put them on paper, now I could go back and look at them. Nightmares, anger, rage, a disconnection, minimizing the experience, uh, guilt, shame, on and on and on, um, loss of intimacy, uh, emotional intimacy. And then they handed me, uh, of course, a document called The Common Responses to Trauma. But when I could go through and say, these are the reactions that I had, if they had been identified immediately when I left the military, I could have worked on resolving them. But now I had become these reactions. I had become all of these things. But to get them out on paper, now I could see them. But once I could see them, I could start to resolve them. And once I could start to resolve them, then I could accept the fact that they have them and either resolve them or just accept them as part of the experience of my life. The most valuable thing I ever did. I never, ever had a dream of being an an author, but I had a dream of resolving these issues. And writing was the only thing at the time that would help. I I fully understand that, and I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, as I said, we're going to do some writing along the way at these programs at the high ground. And uh, I'm certainly going to be there month after month with these things. And I, I hope a lot of folks, anybody listening to this, will consider as a family member, as a veteran, or both, to come to this. Uh, the next one is June 26th, the 26th of June at 2 p.m. at the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park, which is right in the center of the state by Nielsville along Highway 10. It's not a far, a long drive from anywhere, even West Bend. Take, take a minute, Scott, and just uh, describe, give us a graphic of the High Ground. What, what's there? What is this place? And what, why did it originate? What is it today? Uh, it's not just a, a tent out in the middle of the woods. I mean, this is a beautiful, beautiful. Uh, memorial park right it um in uh during in in the vietnam war a fellow named tom miller um promised uh one of his friends uh as the friend was taking his last breath uh in the in the on the battlefield that he would memorialize and not allow people to ever forget the Vietnam experience. So he led, uh, uh, pulled together a group of Vietnam veterans in the early 1980s, and they developed the Wisconsin Vietnam Veterans Memorial Project. And, uh, and uh, that resulted in maybe one of the most profound uh, monuments that I ever known. It's called Fragments. And you can literally, in some soft chimes uh, within that monument, uh, hear voices of all of the um, uh, of those fallen from Wisconsin. Each each chime has has uh, uh, stamped onto it the name of one of the fallen in bundles that look like bamboo. But 
that developed and it's on a beautiful site on a terminal moraine uh, overlooking hundreds and hundreds of acres uh, off to the south and as it as it grew in popularity in the region uh, folks said how about a memorial for um, World War II. Uh, uh, the there was a nurses memorial uh, place there, and it, and uh, there's a there's a a peace dove. There's a gold star um, uh, memorial. Native American. It yeah it's and the Native American yes <laughs> it uh, it it's not just a place of monuments and memorials though it's a it's definitely a place of healing and education as it says um but it's the kind of place where you can sit and reflect and heal um and there are many places uh around the high ground um uh as it's come to be known um where you can you can sit and do that and you can sit in groups such as uh, this trauma group uh, and, and find ways to heal too. There are a lot of different ways of healing at the high ground. I would say, Scott, that one of the adjectives that I've heard used most, by far most, for visitors to the high ground is peaceful. It's a peaceful Peace. place. You yes. just feel peace and relaxation. And the other thing, it's on a, such a large um, acreage of land that there's walking trails there and right. one of the things we mentioned this earlier i wanted to get back to it, but i haven't so we'll get back there now quickly just in, in comment nature as you saw it you write about it you said writing about nature but nature proves to be one of the most healing interactions that i've had just getting out in nature see the birds again see the colors of the flowers again smell it see the water running and listen to it in a creek all of these things see the deer see the rabbit Getting out and being connected to something bigger than human nature is extraordinarily healing, at least in my, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, whatever your spiritual beliefs, you find them out in, out in the natural world. Um, you, you connect with them, and, and you definitely do at a place like the high ground. Well, listen, Scott, it has uh, been an honor speaking with you, and thanks for all the work that you've done for, for veterans, along with your wife, Dee, for, with your writing project, not just with veterans, but uh, with all of the other younger people and whoever those are that you have healed <laughs> with, um, with the Heartbeat Writing Project. So how can people get in touch with you or your project? They can uh, go to the website, uh, theheartbeat.us, or find us on like uh, social media, the Facebook pages, uh, the Heartbeat Center for Writing Literacy in the Arts. Um, or look me up in social media; you'll find me. I'm I'm pretty busy there. Too much. <laughs> and all good stuff. Right. And the high ground, by the way, these programs, of course, are all on their website, uh, thehighground.us, and. Uh, Boy, I really hope folks listening to this really consider uh, taking part in this program. It's incredible. I, I would agree with you. Not only taking part in it as observers or participants, but as members who join us to make the whole transition from military to civilian life 
better, more healthy, more quick and um, and healthy for not just the veteran, but for the entire military family. So that you, you, you can join that effort and, and be part yep. of healing by helping others as well, which is very important. And you can make it less stigmatizing. And, and you make it less stigmatizing. <laughs> and you're coming to a place where that number, that four-letter word that I always re- re- mentioned that has five letters, uh, but it's a four-letter word, is trust. Uh, you will find yes. you will be trusted there and find people that have the common experience and be accepted and even included. So for uh, Bob Bach, a co-host, I am Mike Orban, uh, and we thank you for joining us and hope you join us on the next edition of stigma free vet zone and remember that this is intended to be educational not stigmatizing and also if you're a veteran or military family who are struggling for whatever reason that might be uh, and you're looking for any kind of resources or just want to reach out reach out first uh, to the veterans crisis line and that number is 1-800-273-8255 and then press the number one or you can also go to our website, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org, and look at the resource page. But there are many, many resources available and more adding to them all the time. So, And if not, just contact me and we'll get you in touch with a resource that might be of value to you. So for all of us at Stigma Free Vet Zone, Orban Foundation for Veterans, thank you for joining us. And we do appreciate your feedback and comments. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.